0: They can follow along. They can read along. But these hymns and songs unto the Lord are meant to be sung by the redeemed. And the redeemed sing because they have a knowledge of who God is. And uh, so I trust this morning that you're singing with perfect knowledge. You're singing as one of the redeemed this morning. Well, take your Bibles and go to Romans 14 again today. Romans 14. uh, We have been dealing with the subject of Christian liberty And this morning we're going to get into kind of the the concluding thoughts, although uh, they're not a complete conclusion. uh, Paul steps off off for just a moment and begins to give us the reason why uh, we ought to exercise this Christian liberty in the proper way. Uh, liberty is not, Christian liberty is not meant to be used for our own advantage. It is to be used to edify our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Paul has been dealing with. Uh, and now as we set out today, I want us to, uh, read verses 12 through 23, and, uh, we will see how this goes this morning. We, we may park on verse 12, uh, for the duration. We'll see how this goes. Uh, but Romans 14 verse 12 through 23 reads so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God let us not therefore judge one another any more but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way i know and am persuaded by the lord jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense." It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin." This is heavy. Um, There was emphasis being placed on certain phrases and certain words, and I did that intentionally this morning. Emphasis added is mine. Uh, That's not where the Lord necessarily says, now look at this. I added that emphasis for our purposes this morning. Don't take my words of emphasis as new inspiration or new words. Just simply placing emphasis on some of those thoughts and some of those phrases. But our subject today is very simple. Christ, the only judge. Christ, the only judge. Again, let's take notice of verse number 12, which establishes everything that Paul says after verse number 12 and also takes into account everything he has said previous. That's context. In other words, verse 12, if it was just spoken without any reference or a reference to the context, would not make much sense to anybody. Why is man going to give an account of himself to God? Why is that there? What is the purpose? In other words, if we just simply quote that verse, but we don't understand the context, we might misunderstand what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. We might ask questions like, who is everyone? What does it mean to give an account? And some people might even say, who is God? Why is God the authority? Now, as believers who have been brought up in, hopefully, churches that have preached the Bible and taught the Bible, we understand the context, we understand the purpose, we understand the reasoning, hopefully. However, take note of the expressions just found in verse number 12 alone. There are are four different expressions that describe the accountability of man to God. Now, again, this is not dealing, the context is not dealing with the subject of how we're to encourage and edify one another, we're to pray for one another, we are to love one another. He is specifically talking about the accountability that every single person has to man. He uses the phrase, that first expression, which seems to be something so minute and small, but so important. He says, so then. The so then is there because it is making reference to what the Apostle Paul has already said before. In other words, if I came in this morning and the first words out of my mouth were so then, you would say, what is he referring to? So then what? So that's why you've got to be careful that you don't just take a verse out of context and let it stand alone because it leads to misinterpretation. The so then is there. It has a twofold meaning. Here's what I've said before. And now here's the conclusion of what I've just said as a result of the truth that was just taught. So then here's the application or so then here's the principle. So then here's the truth I want you to get. The Apostle Paul announces a principle that should rule the lives of every one of us. It is fair to say this morning that as a believer, your life principle And I would say some people are still in the business of choosing a life verse. I have varying opinions on that. And that's between you and the Lord. If you have a life verse, that's great. But this is everyone's life verse. Every one of us is going to give an account of himself to God. That's not the most glamorous verse. It's not a verse that talks like all things are possible with God. Greater is he that is in me, that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ with strength and with me. Those are powerful life verses. But what about the reality that we're going to give an account of himself to God? See, it's wonderful to have verses. And it's wonderful to have things that are your lifelong principles. But do we understand truly the accountability of God? The accountability of God is given in the context of a believer's liberty and love for one another. Paul has not been talking about what we would refer to as vicious and vile sins in our human mentality. But he is in the midst of talking about using your Christian liberty not to destroy your brother and sister. He said, I want you to understand this. So then brothers, you will give an account for this. Now, we, we often say well, that, that, that drunkard, that murderer, That abortion doctor, they're going to give an account for their life. The context here is the accountability to God for all of us, for everything. Did we love one another the way we should? Did we misuse our Christian liberty? You're going to give an answer. I'm going to give an answer. Did I misuse Christian liberty to gain my own advantage, or did I do it for the edifying of my brother and sister? This accountability, that verse, it's quoted, it's preached, but often the context is missed as to what he's talking about here. So then, he says, who is responsible? Every one of us. Now, don't miss the word us. Paul is writing to professing believers. Believers have a tendency to announce to the world the judgment that they're going to face. And it's true. The lost man, the lost woman, is going to stand before the great white throne of God and is going to stand before him. But we often forget about our own accountability and that we are going to stand before a throne that seated upon it is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. It's not the great white throne judgment, it's referred to as the Bema seat. We are going to give an account for the things which we have done in our bodies. We will give an account for it. Every one of us. If you're a believer today, you have an appointment day already set. Your time is already determined when you will personally stand before God. It's not something you can call and change. It's not something you can call and and say, uh, can, can it contain this? It's already there. That appointment day, every one of us, every believer needs to understand that this is facing all of us. It requires us that to understand Paul is saying, Christian brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that you will give an answer for this matter. At the same time, it's a truth that is revealed not just here, but it is in its true context is also revealed in other portions of Scripture. That's how to properly study the Word of God. Don't isolate a text Take that text, compare it with Scripture, and see if that's ever spoken of in any other place. So let's hold our place here in Romans and go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And we'll come back here to Romans, of course. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 10. Paul, again, is writing to people who are believers. And he's reminding them of things that are to come. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 10, here's what Paul says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also were made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead." And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. The principle there, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Now go back to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. And let's look at an Old Testament principle regarding this. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. And look with me at verse number 14. Actually, let's look at verses 13 and 14. This sums up the entire responsibility of man. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing. You might mark that. With every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We've talked a lot about external religion over the last couple of weeks. We've talked about how a man or a woman can obey externally, but yet in their heart, it's done with wicked motives. God knows that motive. You have never, I have never, will never fool God as to why we do what we do. If you claim to love another and you really don't, it is a secret motive that God knows about. If, if you claim to not use your liberty as a hammer and yet you display it in a way that seems loving, but your goal is to undermine or destroy that other individual, God sees that as a secret motive. All of those things are fully revealed unto God. In other words, the purpose of the judgment seat is not for you to tell God or to confess to God what you've done because he already knows what you've done, good and bad. He knows every thought you've ever had. He knows what you're thinking at this very moment. If we truly believed in our accountability to God, it would absolutely change the way we lived our lives towards one another. And even just in our own time alone. You know, there are people who are very religious when they're amongst other believers, but they are wicked as all get out when they're by themselves. There are things that we externally like to show, but understand something. We're going to give an account for what we do. It's not just going to be about the good things. I've heard often people mistakenly say, well, at least I'll be saved and at least I'm going to heaven. Praise God for that. But that does not mean that you're not going to give an account for what you've done. It's almost as if man is trying to lessen their accountability to God by saying, well, at least I'm saved. The part I don't think we understand is I believe that even as we stand before God and we give an account, understand some things about that, give account of himself. So much of what we do in our life, we blame it and our actions and our motives and our intents on what somebody else has done. I don't believe with anything the Bible teaches that you're going to be able to stand before God and say, God, the reason I did this is because they did this. Folks, God has been working on me personally about accountability for months now before we ever got here because this is is the heart of the matter. This is the conclusion of everything. I can declare you and myself to be something, but ultimately, the only one that knows my heart and my intents is God Himself because He's the only one you're going to answer to. You're not going to answer to me, you're not going to answer to one another. A pastor can override his authority and say, You will answer to me. You'll not answer to me. You will answer to God. Why? Because he says everyone's accountable to God. My thoughts, my intents, a man's motives, what a man's heart really is. What does it mean to give an account of himself? Man will account for his own character, man will give an account for his own conduct. Man will give an account for his own words, his own thoughts, his own actions, his own plans, his own purposes, his own intentions. He'll give an account. She will give an account for themselves. Now here's the staggering part. You will give an account, if you're not staggered already, you'll give an account unto himself to God who is a God of perfect justice, perfect holiness, Perfect righteousness. He has an unerring standard of justice. In other words, there will be no misunderstandings. There will be no abuse of power. There will be no thoughts that looked religious, but really a motive was evil. God's, God's standard of justice is perfect. No man on this planet... Has a perfect standard of right and wrong. We declare things right that God says that's wrong. We declare things wrong that God says that's right. Why? Because the standard of justice is perfect. You go before a judge, you go before a jury, they make a judgment based upon what they know. The problem is they don't know truly what a man or a woman is. They only know what they've done. God knows what we are, not just what we've done. There's a difference between what we are and what we do. People say it often. Listen, uh, what you are is always reflected by what you do. No, there are people who do a lot of good things with the wrong motives. In the Christian circles that Paul's talking about here, you, you have to admit when you read it through and he's talking about don't make your brother stumble. If, if, if the, the Jewish believers still think you should refrain from that meat, then you Gentile believers, make sure that you don't cause your brother to stumble. God takes this so seriously that he puts we're all, our accountability to God in the midst of something that may not seem quite as big as some kind of vile sin. Some would make the mistake and say, well, maybe, the, maybe the, the writers of the scripture, maybe they put it there by accident. No, the Bible's inspired. It's exactly where God wanted it to be. He placed this phrase in the middle of this context. So we are brought forth before God at that appointed day. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself Now, just look at those two words, to God. To God. Who is referred to when you see the word God? Well, we know from Scripture that the judgment itself will be conducted by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Scripture shows us that. We'll look at that in just a moment. This is not just a general standing before God. This is standing before God. The Lord Jesus Christ will occupy that seat of judgment. Why? We'll see from our texts and our support scriptures this morning because all judgment has been committed to the Son. The Bible teaches that. In other words, this is not an arbitrary God who was chosen to sit upon the throne. This is the commitment of Jesus Christ to that office of judge. So the judgment's conducted by the Lord Jesus himself. Hold your place in Romans and go to the book of Acts, please. Acts 17 and look at verse 31. Acts 17, verse 31. Actually, mate, that reference is not right. I may have to come back to that one. Oh no, it is right. I'm sorry. Acts 17, 31. I was looking at Acts 18. Acts 17, verse 31. Uh, this is Paul as he is standing and he is addressing uh, the, the men of Athens. And in, he, he goes and he, he's talked about the, the, the altar made unto the unknown God. In other words, the men of Athens worship the God ignorantly. They worship a God that, that they didn't even really know. And Paul begins to give a, a theology lesson on who God really is. He talks about how the God, almighty God, is not worshiped with man's hands in verse 25. He talks about how God has made of one blood all nations uh, on the earth in verse 26. He talks about in verse 27, those that seek the Lord, uh, they'll find him. He talks about in verse 28, everything that we do is in God. We live, we move, we have our being. He talks about in verse 29, we are the offspring of God. And he says this, he said, We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Now remember, Paul's saying that because he walks by an altar made to an unknown God. People were worshiping a God that did not even exist. Today, the word God has been thrown around so much in society that people just say, well, I have my own God. When Paul says in our text, to God, he's declaring the only God. Paul knew what those people at Athens believed. Paul knew that they had a superstition. He knew that they they tried to worship a God and they tried to to frame a God out of gold, out of silver. That's the context. He's he's thinking about all these things when he tells us in Romans 14, every one of us is going to give an account to the real God. Now again, look at Acts 17 and look at verse 30. And in the times of this ignorance, God winked at But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in the the which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man, mark this, by that man he will judge the whole world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. That man is Jesus. He goes on. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection was the declaration by the Father that Jesus Christ is the ordained judge of all man. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Some responded by saying, yeah, the resurrection, that really happened. Others said, we'll listen to you later, Paul. We'll consider what you've actually said. So, Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed. And we're given a couple of people who believed. This declaration that Paul makes back in Romans 14 is not an optional thing. He says, You will, every man will give an account to the one who's been ordained, and that's Jesus Christ. When we talk about standing before God at the Bema Seat or standing before God at the great white throne judgment, we're not talking about just a general God. You will give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, as we stop and think about that this morning, if all judgment has been committed or is conducted by the Lord Jesus, that means all judgment will be determined by his standard of righteousness. So if all judgment is committed to the Son, now let's look at more specifically here, go back to the book of John chapter number 5, verse 22. This goes way back in our study of John, but John 5, verse 22. The Bible tells us very definitively about the Father giving to the Son and committing unto him judgment. John 5, 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Obviously, the Son is Christ. If you stay in chapter 5 of John and drop down to verse 27, you will see, and hath given him authority, that's Jesus, to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So look at this principle here. Not only has he committed all judgment unto him to make a determination, but to also execute the judgment that is required. Does everybody see that? This is not just, okay, Jesus hears the case and then takes it before somebody else. All judgment is committed to him and the execution of that judgment. That's why we read about in the Gospels, when Jesus' own words, depart from me, I never knew you. Who is the one that is announcing the departure from his presence into hell? It's Jesus Christ himself to those who did not believe. It's Jesus Christ that's seated upon that judgment seat. It's Jesus Christ that's on the great white throne. It's Jesus that's on the bema seat. But when we see the phrase, we will give an account to God, It is because God, the Father, has appointed the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to be the judge. The judge himself is God. That's Christ. We will be called into an examination to give an account with God not some unknown random God formed out of gold and silver and precious stones and not, not the image that children are often given of who God is. I don't think we get it. I don't think we get it about a fearful thing. We somehow have so mistaken the reality of who God is that we think that just because we're standing before Jesus during the Bema Seat that there will be no fear. The fear is the awe and the reverence of standing before this Savior that you have sung about, you've talked about, you've preached about, to actually stand and give an account of yourself to Jesus Christ. We talk about Jesus. We sing about Him. But we have never stood in His presence right before Him. We were talking about this in the house the other day, that there is, we sing a hymn that says, Jesus is in the world today. That's not biblically and doctrinally accurate. The Holy Spirit is in the world today. We preach Christ and the Holy Spirit of God confirms that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But when we think about Jesus... Jesus is seated biblically at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says that's where he is. Now, yes, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. But God, the Godhead, it's through the Holy Spirit of God. We will stand before Jesus Christ himself. We will give an account to God. Why does Paul say all this? What's the application? Remember, he's been talking about acting as a judge. He's been talking about condemning other brethren by our own standard. When we should be examining our own heart as to whether or not what is going to be revealed when we stand before Jesus Christ ourself. In other words, while you're standing, wasting your time Tearing down your brethren, judging them by your own standard of righteousness, when what you really should be doing is emphasizing your own standing before God. Folks, I'm telling you, the easiest thing in the world to do is to pick up a stone and throw it at somebody else. It's cowardly, but it, we do it every single day. We hear something, we do something, we judge a situation by our own standard. We say, I'm right, you're wrong, here's my stone, Wham! Who made you judge? Who made me judge? All I can judge you by is your external. I can't judge you by your heart. God's standard of righteousness judges not just my external, it judges the entire man. You and I have no ground to stand on by condemning brothers and sisters in matters such as this. Again, Seems like a small matter. Who cares? The Jews think we ought to observe this. We don't. We're going to do our own thing. The, the, the Gentile, the Jews are saying, listen, you're, you're out of the will of God because you're not observing the holy days and the feast." And yet Paul says, oh, by the way, brethren, this is so, of such importance. You're going to give an account for this. You're going to give an account for how you judged one another in matters of holy days and special days and feasts and all of those things. You're going to answer for it. Yet we wonder, we wonder why does God care so much about that? I simply wrote down on my own notes here, am I prepared to give my own account? Am I prepared to give my own account? And and that's what you should be asking yourself. Am I prepared to give my own account? You say, preacher, I've already got a past I can't fix. We all do. We have things that at the time we did them, we thought they were righteous. Then we grew and we matured in the Lord and we look back and we say, that wasn't mature at all. That wasn't even of God. That was of my flesh. I stand before you today and confess to you, I have preached messages before where I get in the flesh. You have talked to people where you get in the flesh and you do it with the wrong motives, but you say, this is of the Lord. No, it's not. It's because it's, 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 we convince ourselves Of our own standard. People aren't even concerned about what the Bible says anymore. They're just like, well, this is what I think and this is what I feel. This is my conclusion. And here's my response to you. It doesn't matter what your conclusion is if it doesn't line up with Scripture. And if the Bible tells me I cannot know the intent of a man's heart, then I shouldn't go condemning and seeking something I can't possibly know. You so, say, well, I can know it because I see what he does or doesn't do or what she does or doesn't do. That still doesn't tell you the whole person. Folks, I'm learning from experience. There are a lot of things. We are, we are so snapped to judgment, people. We look at something and we think we're just so righteous and so good with God, we just say, yeah, this is what happened. This is it. And the reality is we don't even know, we don't even know a percent of what's really the truth. Why? because we're not judging by the standard which God has set. It's more common to come into churches now and be condemned than it is to be edified. I hope that's never said about this church, but it can happen to where it becomes nothing more than condemning one another for our belief and your belief and what I think is right, what you think is wrong. And like Paul said, Paul said here, don't, change, don't try to change their opinion Edify them in what they believe. He's not saying, listen, observing those days, even though those were away with Christ, those were done away with. He said, don't try to change their opinion. Bear patiently with them. And you Jews who believe that those Gentile believers ought to be obeying these things, don't condemn them for not living up to your level of expectation. Folks, by way of application, this is true in every aspect of church life. And I said this when we started this chapter, this is not just about meat and holy days. This is about in anything. You know, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse, but people often come into churches and they see and they realize right away that the standard that that church operates by is not what God thinks. It's what the people sitting in the pews and what the pastor behind the pulpit thinks. The standard is not you and I. It never has been. It never will be. You and I are never going to be able to fully, completely judge. Now, we can come to, a, we can come to our own conclusion that lines up with Scripture, but to declare that we know every aspect of that person is not true. Based upon this truth... Paul is going to conclude in these verses, verses 13 through 23, which we're not even going to touch today. I want us to think about our own account, giving ourselves our own account of ourselves to God. Previously, what Paul has been talking more about is what you shouldn't do, and now he shows us what should be done. Understanding our accountability to God, here's how you don't abuse your liberty. And here's what you, you definitely should do instead. Now, the Apostle Paul can conclude, and we conclude with this thought this morning, very simply, every individual answers only to Christ alone. Believers and unbelievers. Different places of judgment, different times of judgment, but every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's believers and unbelievers. Our sins, no question, as believers today, our sins have been blotted away by the blood of Christ. You and I, our sins have been forgiven. They are remembered no more as far as the East is from the West. Knowing that, we should keep ourselves from indulging in sin. We should keep ourselves from doing those things which are contrary to the Word of God. And we should desire and set forth a life that desires to live for the glory of God alone. But we need to keep in mind that the accountability of our lives is to Christ alone. For our conduct, for our stewardship, for our love towards one another. Folks, we say this a lot around here, and I keep keep hammering this because this ought to be my desire. And every day I find myself saying, listen, did that glorify God? Our whole desire is to glorify God. Glorify Christ in what we do. Glorify Christ not just in our church, glorify Christ in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities. We're to glorify Him, not cast down. We ought to desire to be a good witness for Him. Folks, I've said this and I'll say it again being a witness for Christ is not an event, it's your life. If all we say is I'm going to go witness for God, you make it sound like it's an event. Every moment you live is a witness under the testimony of Jesus Christ. You're a witness in your own family. We, we somehow have missed this. We've said everybody out, everybody out there needs to hear Jesus. Everybody out there needs to see Christ, and they do. But so does your husband and your wife and your kids and your grandkids. They need to see a testimony of a person who's really been converted and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they need to see. A witness is not an event on a calendar. It's not a time when I go and do something. It's every opportunity. When you're checking out the supermarket, you are a witness for Christ, whether you want to be or not. When you're walking up and down the the, the aisles of that store, you're giving testimony to who you are and who Christ is. And again, I'm not talking about we're just lifestyle evangelists. I'm telling you, every aspect of your life is to be to the glory of God. He doesn't say what, he doesn't say, now specific activities are not going to be answerable to there at at the judgment seat of Christ. He said, we're giving account to ourselves of everything. So as we consider this, and we'll, think, we'll deal with this more, this thought more next week, never to set ourselves up as the ultimate judge in the conduct and the life of another believer. You know, what we might do instead of finding the weaknesses and exaggerating the differences, we might spend our time trying to figure out how to endeavor to help one another and quit causing each other to stumble. That might be a good idea. That might just be a good idea. Instead of saying that's what's wrong with you, why don't you find what's right? Or why don't you help encourage them to walk right and do it lovingly like you're trying to help your own child walk forward? What a change that would make. Instead of setting up your own pulpit and my own pulpit over somebody and lording over them and looking down at them and saying, listen, boy, you just got everything just all messed up. We'll deal with that more next week. But let's let's set the standard to make our fellowship in Christ. Listen, there is no one who is in Christ who is lesser. I don't care how long you've been saved. You are no more valuable than the person who just repented yesterday. God doesn't need you any more than they need them. He doesn't need any of us. He doesn't even need you to correct what's being said wrongly about God. He gives us the privilege. He doesn't need us. He never has needed us. But I hope we'll take these things to heart. Let's stand together. We'll pray. There's a lot more we can say this morning. but We're going to stop there. We've got enough to chew on as it is. But as we pray this morning... Let's intentionally try to think of ourselves today, not in a self-centered, arrogant way, but this accountability. How you view others. What is your accountability? Personally, let God, not, some so-and-so needs to be, I wish they would have heard this. No, you did hear it. I heard it. You needed to hear it. So let's think on those things. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we realize this morning we, we fall short of the glory of God. We fall short in our opinions and our attitudes and our judgments. Lord, we can become so hardened in these things that we forget our own accountability. Lord, we, we are surrounded by error every day. We hear false doctrine. We see false teaching. We hear false interpretation. There's no question it's there, and we are called to stand for the truth, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, I pray you'd help us understand what you've called us to do, is to not judge the intents and the motives, but to simply be a living example of the truth, to preach the truth, to speak of the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, personally and maybe selfishly today, maybe that's the wrong word, but Lord, we pray for us as an individual church. We are not above this. We, are not, we have not moved beyond it in our, our spiritual maturity. Lord, I pray that if a condemning, destroying attitude has begun to develop in this congregation, whether it's from me or from anyone who calls themselves a member or an attender of this church, that Lord, we would repent of that immediately that, Father, that the spirit of judgment and the spirit of condemnation would flee quickly away from this congregation. Father, help us to be a light unto one another. Help us to be an encouragement and help us to not uh, exaggerate a weakness, but to come alongside and to help and encourage and remind of the goodness of who you are. Lord, we know that only you can do this work. We could go home today and make a list of resolutions, and those resolutions would only last as long as we're able to keep them. But Lord, if you change our heart, if the Holy Spirit changes us, convinces us, convicts us to turn from these ways, Lord, you can do and will do a mighty work. Father, we thank you that your word is pointed. We thank you that it is direct, that Lord, you give us fearful things to consider, Lord, that we are going to be held accountable and that ought to affect our conduct and our behavior. For we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you've already done and what you're going to do. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake that I pray, amen.